Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you guys here today. Hey, I'm pretty excited about a couple of things. Uh, number one, um, we, have a, we have a great crowd here today uh, with us in our live streaming, and um, you all look fabulous. But it's important that next week turns a page in our, uh, in our time together, and next week we start two services here at Harvest, one on Saturday night from 6 to 7, and you, and you need to sign up for that. That's the one that's got a lot of space right now. And then one on Sunday uh, from 10.30 to 11.30. So we're, we're keeping the hour format. Uh, there's a link on our page that you guys need to go and uh, click on and just sign your name in. Make sure it's first name, last name. If you want to leave your email address, that'd be great. Uh, but that way we make sure that we keep a minimum amount of people here in the auditorium, much like right now, okay? And so uh, make sure you do that. And again, if you haven't already signed up, we have maybe uh, 10 spots left for Sunday, but we have 20-some spots left for Saturday, okay? Uh, If you're thinking, I'll watch the live feed on Saturday, you won't, because we're not going to be live feeding on Saturday, but we will be on Sunday still. So uh, again, um, make sure you do that this week. You can, uh, if you need to text me and say, hey, I need that information again, I'll, I'll text it back to you as well. Uh, not only am I excited, but I'm also concerned, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm concerned in reference to what's going on in our, in our world right now, and um, I think the things that have happened in Minneapolis, in that area, are concerning, and as a church, we need to be, we need to call sin, sin, and we need to step up for those that are disenfranchised, and we prayed for that this morning. And um, we just want our law enforcement agencies to know that we're for them. But we want folks to know that when they feel out of context and, and, and they're frustrated and they don't have a place to turn, we're for them too. And we want to be an outlet for them. And so pray for our nation, please, that uh, we would see the goodness of the Lord through all of this. Okay. We are in, as our, our Bible reading was today, we are in Revelation chapter 9. So take your Bibles and turn there. We've been, we've been studying through the book of Revelation verse by verse, and it's taken us uh, on a, quite a journey. And uh, so far, this is what we've seen. In, in chapter 6, we saw the seal judgments. We saw in chapter 4, the church was raptured. Chapter 5, we saw the worship of heaven. Who is worthy to take the scroll? And Jesus steps forward. He said, behold, the Lion of Judah, and he turns and looks and sees the Lamb. And as the Lamb, he steps forward and he takes and breaks the seals. Now, the seal judgments were mostly natural events. Judgments over uh, things such as an earthquake. A quarter of the earth's population was killed by famine, war, pestilence, and beasts. These were judgments of God. And then there was a heavenly pause. The angel uh, that came out of the sun, it says, told the four angels to hold back the judgment winds and not to touch the earth, the sea, or the trees, while God marked for himself an elect people, 144,000, so that they might go and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's mercy. And we looked at that. That whole time was mercy. 
last week in chapter 8, we went from the natural judgments to the supernatural. The supernatural judgments. And that was in the trumpets. And uh, we saw in supernatural judgments that the third of the earth trees and all the grass were burnt up. That the prayers of the saints were filled in the bowl of incense and thrown down to the earth. Another earthquake, fire breaks loose. And we, listen, a third of the United States burning. Think of that. 17 states on fire. But not just in the United States. Providences of Canada. The Far East. Russia, China. A third of the world on fire. A third of the trees burn up and all the grass. The second trumpet was blown and a third of the ocean and its life were dead and the ocean was turned to blood. A third of all the ships, 17,000 if it were tomorrow, a third of all the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet was, blo was blown and a third of the fresh water became toxic and those who drank it died. And if that wasn't enough, and that's pretty serious, if that wasn't enough, then the fourth trumpet blows and a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars in the heavens go dark. And those were the supernatural events and judgments of God that came out of the seal judgments. It was the seventh seal that brought the seven trumpets. We've only caused four of them. And if I were to poll you right now, I think we could go by 100% and say, no, I don't want any of that. Right? Am I right? I wouldn't want any of that. I, know, I think I can speak for the audience at Harvest, those on, on Facebook. I think we'd say, no, I'm not interested in having a third of the earth burning or, or the water being toxic or the third of the oceans or the, a third of the sun, moon, or stars going dark. But now it's going to go from supernatural to demonic. In Trumpets 5 and 6, we're going to see that. What does it look like? I have as our hub today this. What does hell on earth look like? What would it look like? We've said that, right? If hell on earth came. And this is the beginning of a picture of that. If we begin, we begin in verse 13, because that's where we left off. Write this down. Woe number one, the fifth trumpet is blown and the abyss is open. Woe number one, the fifth trumpet is blown and the abyss is open. It says this, Then I looked and I heard an angel crying with, excuse me, an eagle crying with a loud voice. Now it's interesting, there are three animals in Scripture that speak. Do you know them? In the garden there was the snake. On, on, underneath Balaam was a donkey. And now this eagle, crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Let's understand something. What is meant by that word woe? Because we're like, whoa, stop. That's not what they mean. What is meant by the word woe is horror, disaster. Now one time to say woe 
is coming, disaster is coming, is bad. Three times in understanding how the, the language is written, that is horrible. In other words, when we say of God, holy is the Lord, that's pretty awesome. Amen? But when we say of God, holy, 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 it is to pile on the holiness of God so that nothing else is attainable to that. And only of God is it ever said. In Isaiah, it said that. In Isaiah chapter 6. But to go, woe, 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 is to say, this is going to be bad. If you thought the others were bad, this is going to be get bad. The repetitiveness shows the intensity of the coming judgment. Remember that. There's intensity that's about to happen. Woe number one, the fifth trumpet is blown and the abyss is open. And um, I was reading this week and I really, uh, sometimes you read somebody's outline and you're like, I wish I would have wrote that, right? Somebody with me, right? That's really good. So it's important that we give credit where credit is due. Uh, MacArthur used these U's, and I'm going to just take the U's from, from his statements and use them, all right? So I don't want you to think I'm brilliant. I, I, am, I am letting you know that I'm using these U's that he used to help us understand this text, okay? So here's the first one. What we see in this text, unlock the vault. Unlock the vault. Notice verse 9 with me. Right at the end of chapter 8, it says, I looked and I heard an angel cry with a loud voice, whoa, 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 the other trumpets, they're about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. All right, I want to I talk about a couple of words here real quick so we can have a better understanding of what's going on here. The first word is star. The first word is star. It says, I saw a star fallen from heaven. Now, are we talking about a literal star? Or are we talking about an individual? Well, I think it's important that we let Scripture answer Scripture because this star is doing something. And when we see stars, things called stars in heaven, we have to go back to Job chapter 38. And God asked this question of Job. Were you there when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The key here was stars were angels like Michael and Lucifer and Gabriel. And sons of God were other angels before the fall. These grouping of angels uh, that came out of this time that God is telling Job about. So this is an angel, a star, fallen from heaven, so we can assume that this is Satan. But we'll get to that in just a minute. And then we see the word bottomless. Now, just by a show of hands, or maybe even answering online right now by uh, putting I want this or I want to do this on the, on the chat. Um, how many want to fall into a bottomless pit? Anybody? Anybody? I wish you could see the audience right now. Nobody's raising their hands. How many would like to see one though? Because it kind of defies nature, right? I mean, we're, we're a circular globe and that means that if you fall from one end of the world, you've got to come out on the other end. I, I would think. I don't know. I uh, Physics didn't do well with me. So when we go to the Greek, we understand that bottomless means deep or abyss. 
In other words, it's not a bottomless pit, but it's better to say a deep or an unable to see the bottom pit. And that makes a little bit more sense. In other words, this is a pretty big hole. But I want us to notice something here. When the fifth angel blew his trumpet, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the deep or bottomless pit. I want us to circle that word given in your Bibles. Because it's important to understand that only God can give permission. When God says it's okay to do something, it's okay to do it. And for me, there's great comfort in the sovereignty of God. I hope you're comforted by the sovereignty of God. Listen, never is God out of control. Never is he outdone by Satan. Always is he directing and giving permission so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say that again. Never is God out of control. Always is he in control. Never is he outdone by Satan. Always is he directing and giving permission so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so what happens? We see now that there is an angel, Lucifer, who has fallen from heaven and he has the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit and he opens the shaft of the bottomless pit. And notice what verse 2 says. From the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Anybody remember Mount St. Helens erupting? I, I was alive then. Thank you, Lenny. Lenny was alive then. Uh, it was quite an ordeal. That eruption, smoke spewed across the northern part of the United States and affect weather patterns. Earthquakes were felt around the world. When I think of smoke pouring out of an abyss, I think of that, but I also thought of 9-11 and the images we saw. And it was like almost invisible to see. And the sun was almost hidden from the falling of two buildings. Think about all the gray ash. Well, this is black smoke. Now, Put it in context here, folks. A third of the sun is already dark. A third of the moon is already dark. A third of the stars are already dark. And now more darkness has fallen. Then write this down. Unleash the beasts. Unleash the beasts. Notice verse 3. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given, again, sovereignty, and they were given power like the power of the scorpions of the earth. God is still setting the rules here, sovereignly in control. Again, they were given, they were told, they were allowed. Underline those things. This is God saying, this far, no farther. They were given power. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth. They were told not to eat the green plants. They were told not to bother those people who have the seal of God on their foreheads. That should sound familiar if you were familiar with Exodus 8 through 10, where the people of God were not harmed by the plagues of Egypt. 
They were allowed to torment them for five months. Incidentally, that's a lifespan of a locust. But not to kill them. They were tormented, and their torment, excuse me, was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings. Um, I've heard that's painful. And in those days, people will seek death. Listen, if you want to understand how bad it will be, in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. I mean, what a picture, right? This is a horrible, horrible time. People will want to die, will try to die, but cannot die. Maybe the question we should ask is, who are these locusts? And I put locusts in parentheses. Have we seen them before in Scripture? Have they been mentioned at all? Well, I I want us to to look at this. I have read a lot about this over the last couple weeks. I found that there are about four prevailing answers to this question. Who are these locusts? What What is this abyss? What is going on here? And a lot of it goes back to, and if you have one of those study Bibles, it may even reference Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, we see that uh, this statement. When men began to multiply in the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Now before Jacob, listen, this is important. Before Jacob, sons of God in the scriptures always dealt with angelic messengers. After Jacob, his children were called the children or sons of God. Well, what about Job? Well, Job is from the time of Abraham. And that's one of our key passages. Now, notice what they did. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh and his day shall be 120. And then Aphelion were on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and they were mighty men who were of old men of renown. So this is a sensational event that happens here. This is a time of sensational events happening. Now we have read already in Job 1 and Job 38 that sons of God were angelic beings, but we see in Genesis 6 that these people had done something. They had left their natural abode their natural way of things, and did something God objected to. Now bear with me, because this is important. I don't know how this happened. I don't have the answer for that. I look forward to asking God when I get to heaven. I just, I can go with the rational, or I can go with Scripture. And I choose to go with Scripture. Rational is easy. In Luke 8, we see demons who have now entered an individual, and God is ready to cast them out, and they're like, don't throw us to where? The abyss. Rather, throw us into these pigs. And he does. Fast forward to 1 Peter chapter 3, and verses 19 and 20. Jesus, now we've looked at Jesus. He dies. He goes into the grave. It says, and he went and proclaimed to the captives in prison the demons, who did not maintain proper place and were not obedient when in the days of Noah. So here Jesus is proclaiming not 
have eternal life, but victory to these very same demons. In 2 Peter 2, 4, he goes on to say, because they were disobedient in the days of Noah, God cast them into Tartarus, the abyss, a gloomy dungeon. That's what that word Tartarus means. Because they are in chains. And 2 Peter 2 and Jude both have to do with sensuality. Jude 1, 6 says, angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their dwelling have he has kept in a gloomy darkness. All that to say this. These locust-like creatures are fallen angels who've overstepped their bounds. In Hebrew, the neftal means fallen. The neftalim means the fallen. In Genesis 3, we see that Satan indwells the serpent. And God deals with that. In Genesis chapter 6, we see the sons of God indwell man, and they are judged, and they are bound, and they are thrown into the pit. And now we look at verse 5. And for those who think it's cute to conjure up spirits, for those who think it's cute to play with dark arts, let me just show you the true character of these people that you're wanting to know or talk to. They don't love you at all. They, they want to give you hell on earth. Their actions are in keeping with what they have done in the past. Think of it. Luke 8, Matthew 17, Mark 5. Demon-possessed people go crazy. They try to kill themselves, but they can't. They cut themselves. They hurt themselves. In fact, here's a couple of those scriptures. In Luke 8, it says, When Jesus stepped on the land, they met a man from the city who had demons for a long time who had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house. For many times it had seized him, speaking of the demons, and under guard and bound with chains and shackles, he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Naked, running through the desert. In, in Matthew chapter 17, it said, an epileptic, this man, this man is saying, my, my son, he, he has these seizures, these epileptic seizures, and they, and they cast him into a fire, or they cast him into water. And Christ removes the demons. And in Mark 5, we have a demon living among the tombs that no one could restrain, not even with chains. For he had often resisted or restrained the shackles and chains. He had wrenched them apart. He had broke them to pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. This was the one they called Legion. Night and day among the tombs, he was always, listen, howling and bruising himself. Now the nature of the demonic is pain and not love. And what we're seeing in this is the abyss open. And now we are seeing the beast unleashed. Write this down. Unveil yourself. Because now we're going to get a look. Now we're going to get a look at what they look like. Here's the question I have for you. I asked this of Pastor Jeremiah this morning. Does the Bible describe to us how or excuse me, what a demon looks like? In all the texts that talk about demon possession, does it tell us 
what the demon looks like. It looks like a pig. No, they went into pig. It looks like a man. No, they went into man. Now we will see. Now it will be described for us what these sons of God who had left their abode look like. What these demons look like. They were wandering spirits who would wander and come back with more. And what we will see is it's kind of scary. I'd like you to underline the word like as I read the text. John uses the word like because it's key, because he's, he's never seen anything closely resembling this, so he's trying to describe it to you. Have you ever done that? He's not 100% perfectly sure. It's not a 100% perfect definition. It's a descriptor. It's a descriptor word. He's describing when his normal describing fails. And he looks at demons, and he finally he's gobsmacked. He, he, he doesn't know exactly how to explain them. Have you ever had moments like that when something great or horrible happens, and you don't know what to say? I was thinking back. Um, it was one of the first football games that I ever watched. It was... Miami University against Boston College. And my sister, Martha, was, was watching the game with us, and she immediately fell in love with a quarterback named Doug Flutie. You guys ever heard of him, maybe? Some of you older folks in the room? He was a handsome chap. I was rooting for Miami. It's about the only time in my life I can ever remember doing that. They had a quarterback... Uh, who played for them, and, and Bernie Kosar. Bernie went on to play for the Cleveland Browns. Um, we don't hold either of those things against him, right? And Bernie played a magical game. They were winning this game, and Flutie was on like the 40-yard line. And he chucked the ball, and I'm like, we got this, we got this. Remember, I'm watching my first football game ever. And the guy falls backwards right into his lap, touchdown, they win. And I sat there like, didn't know what to do. And I was trying to explain it to my friends. Like, it's like this. And he went, and, he's, and it was like, my sister's crying on the couch because Doug Flutie won the game. Listen, we have moments like that all the time. So let's give John some grace here. Because he's trying by the, by the will of God to kind of show us what locusts are, these locusts are like. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces and their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they have tails and sting like scorpions. And their power to hurt people was for five months is in their tail. That's eight likes that he's trying to describe what is going on here. Warren Wearsby said this, these are no ordinary locusts. All in favor of that, right? Aren't you glad these are not ordinary locusts? I mean, ordinary locusts are bad. But these are no ordinary locusts. John is heaping image upon image to force us to feel the horror of this judgment. This is a horrible time. Notice these horses, they were mighty. 
They they looked like horses. They were mighty. They had crowns on them. They they were victors. These were victors' crowns. These were laurel leaf crowns, if you looked at the word itself. These had men's faces, which means, and I I sometimes laugh when I'm going to say this, but they were intelligent. They had women's hair, which meant they were sensual. They had lion's teeth, which meant they were fierce. Breastplates meant they were invulnerable. Wings meant they were loud and confusing. And the tails meant they were hurting mankind. Now John would know what a scorpion bite was like, but most of the time it wouldn't kill you, but it was painful. If you look up, will a scorpion bite kill you? It's not 100% fatal all the time. In fact, it's not even 50% fatal all the time, but it will be very very painful. Anybody want to try? I, don't, I didn't think so. I, as I was reading it, I could only think of, like, I had kidney stones one time, two times. Two times I've had kidney stones. It's very painful. Three times I've had gout. That's even worse. But from what I understand, this is so painful, people want to die, and they cannot. Now let's put these five trumpets together. There's an earthquake. There's fire from heaven. All of a sudden we have the earth burning. The sea is red with blood. Commercial ships are devastated. Trees are burnt. Grass is gone. Then all, a third of the fresh water is bitter and toxic and people are dying. And then the sun dims and the moon isn't so bright. And the stars go, one third are gone. And it seems like maybe there's going to be a reprieve. And then all of a sudden, this abyss is open. The sky goes darker. And out of this darkness comes killer hornets. No. Demons who sting you. And you're constantly in pain. And you want to die. And you beg to die. But you cannot. And in this moment is pain and agony. And you will think... This is hell on earth. And the reality is, hell is worse. Yet it's it's not compared at all. If someone were to find a Bible during the time of the tribulation, they'll realize these things will be gone in five months and there'll be hope. But as I've said before, hell is a place without hope. The last you is unmasked. Unmasked. Now we find out who's really behind all of this. And they have over them an angel of the bottomless pit. And his name in Hebrew, Abaddonon. And his name in Greek, Apollyon. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And that name means destroyer. Now, who in the Bible has come to seek, kill, and destroy? Who is a murderer and a liar from the beginning? Satan. And now he is unmasked. And it says, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. So there it is. Who's behind it all? Satan. He's been called the liar. He's the one who comes to kill and destroy. And what does he really think of lost humanity? Does he embrace them? 
No. Does he shepherd them like Jesus shepherds his flock? No. His under minions go out to inflict pain and sores and keep them from dying so they can experience more and more and more torture. Yet he is, even though unmasked, he is embraced. Later at the end of chapter 9, it will say people will still not turn to the Lord. Closing thoughts. Maybe in your mind you're thinking, why teach this, Nate? Well, one, it's in the Bible. And two, people must know. People must know. What must they know? First, they must know that the trumpet judgments are horrific. Horrific. Again, think about what we've just communicated in five of the seven trumpet judgments. Communication will be down. People will be dead. Darkness will be all around. Your body will be aching for the sun, aching because of these demons. It is horrific, this scene. Dr. David Jeremiah said, those who seek God in His mercy and humbly come to receive it, they will have it. But those who reject God have delighted in their wickedness, flaunted their sin, tortured and victimized others without shame or remorse. And they were warned and have done nothing and now they will face their demons. The trumpet judgments are horrific. It is a time of the grapes of wrath being poured out on a fallen humanity who chooses to continually reject God. But what else people must know is that this is nothing compared to the eternity that awaits those who continually reject him. Satan and his minions and his demons in hell. People must know that hell is an actual place. And this is just a picture of how bad it will really, really be. In, in Christendom, we sing that this phrase, it is a foretaste of glory divine. You remember that hymn? Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. If I may take that very same phrase and change it up a little bit, this is a foretaste of their eternal destiny. Oh, what a foretaste. Thirdly, people must know because God's sovereignty and mercy are still present and in control. Even in the midst of this, Here's a few things you need to know. At the end of the sixth seal, the heavens are open and people can look into heaven. That's still happening. People can still see the very throne room and the Lamb. There are still 144,000 walking around that have not been affected by this at all, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. Mercy is present. And God is sovereign, allowing mercy to happen. And Jesus would say, come home, come home. All you who are weary, come home. There is still hope. But people must know, lastly, because 
Right now, the good news of the gospel is still standing ready to receive you. If you would just turn from yourself as Lord to Jesus as Lord, He stands ready to receive you. We have a problem, and that problem is sin. All sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All will die physically and eternally. The solution was the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Jesus in my place, the perfect sacrifice. That happened at Calvary when he willingly gave up his life for you and me. The result? Eternal death defeated for those who believe. Eternal life granted for those who believe. The question is, with all the facts on the table, will you believe today? The fifth trumpet has been blown. As the verse ends, the first woe has passed. The next two are to come. If that was bad, wait till next week when it gets even worse. But you know what? We can look at this and go, listen, that's going to drive me to Jesus and it's going to drive me to tell other people about Jesus. Or we can look at it in unbelief and turn and walk away. My challenge for you today is let it drive you to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith who loves you, who continually loves you and longs for you to come to him as you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the text that is before us. And the one thing we wrestle with all week, I know I wrestle with, is this is such a horrific picture in a time of horrific things going on. Pestilence going on. uh, Troubles and, and disappointments going on, Lord. Is it appropriate? Is it time? But we know that your word is always relevant for us. And it shows us, Father, that that not only are you sovereignly in control, not only have you planned all of this out, not only do you know the beginning from the end, but that your love is even more beautiful now to me. That you reached down through the heavens and saw me when I was a rebellious young man and saved me. And Father, I'm eternally grateful for that. And I would pray, Lord, that your spirit would do the very same thing right now. Apart from me, apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord. We just want to be your mouthpiece that lets the good news of the gospel go forth. We don't have to go through this. This is not meant for us. You have not destined us for wrath. Your children will be safe in your arms. But Lord, we pray for those who aren't your children that they would be burdened by this. That they would see not only the wrath of God poured out on their choices, but your mercy as you lay that passage before them today so that they might be saved. Father, save them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website 
at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.